Genesis 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this? that thou hast done. The woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. The Lord said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. And upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. We'll finish in verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we ask you for just a few minutes, Lord, to meet with us. God, as we search the scripture, Lord, every person in this room, Lord, we're desperate for the word of God, Lord, to penetrate our hearts and our minds. Lord, we need you desperately to show us something from your word. Lord, we're hungry. I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross. Use me as your vessel. Empty me of self. And God, I pray that Jesus would be lifted up as we explore the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. It's very important. It's vital. I believe it's one of the most important things that we can do this time of year that Christmas does not become just another day or that Christmas does not get put in the same batch with Memorial Day or Columbus Day or MLK Day. It is not simply just 
another holiday. Christmas is a very special day. It's one of a few days in the world's history that we all stop for a moment and no matter who you are or what you are or what you believe, there is a moment where you must acknowledge the reason that life has ceased to exist as it normally does relates to who Jesus is. I love Christmas. Uh, Christmas is an opportunity to do a few things, to accomplish a few things. One is to teach about the incarnation. Parents should always take the opportunity to teach their children what the word incarnation means, why it's important for us, and what it means for Jesus to teach about the incarnation of Christ. Secondly, to express love for the family that God's given you. It's an opportunity for you to show someone how much they mean to you, to lavish them with the labor that you have worked hard and saved your money and you have bought them a gift because you love them. There's no strings attached to what Santa puts under the tree. It's love and it's an opportunity to express love. It's also, obviously, it's a time to honor Christ and glorify him in every action around Christmas. We eat a meal, we close the office, we decorate the house, we go caroling, we buy gifts, we give to the birthday offering for Jesus, and all of it is in honor of our Lord and Savior's birth. Everything that encompasses real Christmas surrounds, it's focused on Jesus Christ and his birth. Now, some people really have issues with things like Christmas trees because of their history with pagan people utilizing them in ungodly ways or that somehow they are a symbol that has been ruined by secularism that dishonors Christ. But church, God made that tree. And if I decorate my home with a Christmas tree and I do it to honor the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and I take that moment to strengthen my family and enjoy time together with what God hath created, then to God be the glory. Those who go on and on about Christmas trees and Santa Claus, number one, they probably live pretty miserable lives 100% of the year. That's just the truth. That's a sad way to look at life. But number two, God made the tree and I better never find a potted plant in any of those people's houses because the same God that made that Christmas tree is the same God that made that potted plant that sits in your window at work. It's just simply something we do to remember Jesus Christ. Now that rabbit trail has been run. Now let's put that aside. And let's be reminded that if believers, if those of us in the faith, if we lose sight of the real reason for Christmas, and if we stop celebrating those reasons openly, then it can become what the world has made it. If you don't do Christmas with intention, and you allow the world or what you find on cable TV or what your children find on YouTube to define what Christmas is, then the world will always have a secular definition waiting to define what actually belongs to God. And they will repurpose that day that is meant to honor and glorify the birth of Jesus Christ and make it something that it is not. And Christmas for the world, if you'll notice, has become a catch-all of secular activity, devoid completely of Christ. Things like Christmas drinking games 
or parties that become inappropriate at Christmas time. Let your hair down and have a good time. It's Christmas time. It's devoid of Christ and it does nothing but feed the flesh. But at the very edge of that, the driving force behind that activity is a concerted effort to silence Christmas and to silence the real meaning of Christmas. You see, somehow Christians got shoved into a corner of political correctness and we were told that we can't say Merry Christmas because we might offend someone who doesn't celebrate Christmas. Well, I don't celebrate Kwanzaa and it offends me, don't say it. Don't say Happy Holidays, that offends me too. You see, it's just a big bowl of foolishness is what that is. There's a reason that Christmas is subverted. There's a reason there is a war against the two words, Merry Christmas, and why we must say things like Happy Holidays. Inclusion is wonderful, but honoring God is better. The sad part is some Christians have actually felt the need to stop saying it. What if I hurt someone's feelings? Well, let me offer this as a secondary thought. What if the only thing that person will hear all year long about Christ is when you say Merry Christmas? What if that one simple moment they have to stop and pause their mind and they can't help but flash a scene of a nativity where there is a beautiful baby that's been born in Bethlehem and they are forced to think about the Messiah being born, a perfect sacrifice. There's a reason we must celebrate Christmas and there is a reason we must say Merry Christmas. Some of us are out of practice. Merry Christmas. 17 people, my goodness. Merry Christmas. Boy, that's getting good on that front row. Merry Christmas. Christmas is precious. It's important that we understand it and celebrate it and know the real meaning and why there's truly an assault on all fronts. But church, for us to understand what Christmas is and to understand all that's taking place at Christmas, we have to back up. And we have to back up to where we just were 2,100 years prior to the birth of Jesus in Genesis chapter number three. You see, to understand Christmas, you must understand the fall of man. The fall of man. The fall refers to the moment that we just read about in time where human beings first disobeyed God. Genesis 3 tells this entire painful episode of what took place. What Eve, in her moment of weakness and disobedience and distrust, what she set in motion. And then her husband Adam, he confirmed it and completed it by joining her. They sinned together. The willful decision of Adam and Eve created a state of rebellion between the creation and the creator. Genesis gives us this fall that actually comes from the Bible itself, the word fall. Romans 3.23 talks about for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It means that every single person that has been born carries with them the weight of sin, defeat and destruction because of one man's sin, one man's action. We are all born with what we know now as the Adamic nature. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And you may not know what they look like. You may not have them necessarily in your family tree or a black and white photo of them holding a pitchfork in front of a big farm. But Adam and Eve are directly connected to every single person sitting in this auditorium. 
and you were born with the sickness that they created. The fall of mankind. Christmas must include the fall of man. The Bible makes it clear that the fall brought sin into every subsequent person's life. You want to talk about making choices for other people. Parents, this is a great opportunity to run this rabbit trail. The decisions you make, the way you live your life will affect how the generations to follow you will live their life. There is always consequence for sin. I'm proof of it and you're proof of it and it goes all the way back to the garden where Adam and Eve sinned. Romans 5.12 gives us this perfectly. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Adam and Eve mess this whole thing up. We're all now carrying the weight from birth. One's capacity for sin is inborn. A person is a sinner before he has the opportunity to even sin. All have inherited the effects of Adam's fall. There's three elements that we need to understand from the fall of man that point back to Christmas. Number one, notice the serpent. Number one, the serpent. Verse number one says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. The serpent is a manifestation of Satan, a physical form that appears for the first time before the fall of man. And just like you and me who believe, who are Christians on our way to heaven, the chief end of man is to what? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, the chief end, the chief purpose of Satan is to challenge the authority of God. It is his primary motivation and to damn souls into hell. That is his chief end. And Satan is a fallen archangel. Thus, because he is a fallen archangel, he is also a supernatural spirit. And in that... He possessed the body of a snake. And in this body's form, this is a snake in fashion in the pre-fall form. Stay with me on this. Satan was cunning. He was masterful in his presentation. His words were carefully chosen and planned out, executed perfectly with intentionality and with purpose. To deceive Eve... And to rob her seed of the one thing they had prior to the fall. Perfect communion with God. Satan has always been warring against the authority of God. But understand that that serpent and his followers and his seed and his demons and his horde and the government that he has structured described for us in Ephesians chapter 6 is what you wrestle with. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle something. And what we wrestle are the dominions and the minions of Satan himself. 
There is still that war raging against God's people. Remember now, all of us are descendants of who? Adam and Eve. We all fall into the category of the seed of Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that that war continues against her seed even to today. So number one, notice the serpent and know that the war continues. To understand Christmas, you must understand the fall. And to understand the fall, you must know that there was a serpent, a snake, a devil who continues to war against the authority of God. Secondly, notice the sin. We see the serpent, but now notice human nature on full display. This is who I am apart from God. Eve apparently felt that God's restriction of that one particular tree was too harsh. Her actions and her disobedience added harshness. And it was harshness that she did not have to experience, but it's harshness that she brought upon herself and upon Adam. And it was harshness unto death. You see, Satan, I believe with all of my heart, if you read the conversation, if you read the dialogue, and I hope you're paying close attention to this, Satan was empowered and emboldened by Eve's openness to have a discussion with him. Satan fed with bloodthirst off of her willingness to entertain what he had to say. The moment she recognized that it was a serpent, she should have said, I love God so much. God's been so good to me. I refuse to even entertain the thoughts of this devil. But something inside of Eve entertained the conversation with Satan in the first place. And it empowered him to consume her one tiny strike at a time. Satan was emboldened by her. And this was a direct lie that it started by her giving him an inch. And next thing you know, Adam and Eve feel shame and anguish and guilt for the first time. And they notice their nakedness. And what happened was where Eve gave an inch, Satan took 1,000 miles and kept going. And all the way through time and eternity to this day, the baby's being born at Pardee, the baby's being born at Mission, the baby's being born all over the world tonight are born because of Eve's sin with a sinful nature directly linked to her fall and Adam's choice to follow. Satan's lies always promise great benefit, but always end in devastation and ruin. Always. And if you look at Adam and if you look at Eve, there are four forms of appetite for sin. And this is who I was prior to Jesus. This is my sinful nature. This is the same appetite for sin that I was born with, that you were born with. The first appetite was that the tree was good for food appealed to the physical appetite. How delicious this fruit must be that God would not allow us to consume it. And no doubt it appealed to the physical appetite. There was an illicit appetite and it was provoked by selfish discontentment and a distrust of God. 
If she believed God and she trusted God, then she would have never even been close enough to touch the fruit, much less pick the fruit and consume the fruit, for God had told her that even to touch it would be death. But it's obvious that there is an illicit appetite that's selfish and discontent. Then thirdly, there's an emotional appetite. It was pleasant to the eyes. Listen to me now. Ladies, your structure, the way you are made, is that you are susceptible to what's spoken in the ear by the enemy. Young girls, when some booger comes by in high school and tells you he loves you, look at him and say, no, you don't. He don't know what love is. He's a little boy. He don't have a job. That's his daddy's truck. And he don't love you. But Satan will set you up to hear exactly what you want to hear to allow the gate down and allow your guard to go away. One inch, it leads to a thousand miles. Men, for you, your weakness is Eve holding that beautiful fruit and saying, taste it. Take a bite. Look how beautiful it is. And through the eye gate, men are susceptible to sin. Then fourthly, the fact that the fruit was desirable to make one wise provoked her intellectual appetite. I'll be smart. I'll know more. I'll be regarded high as God. There was something inside of her that was not satisfied with all the blessings she had. She had become founded on the goodness of the garden. And she desired knowledge that really did not belong to her in the first place. And she decided that Satan was telling the truth and that she had misunderstood God, but she didn't know what she was doing. It was not overt rebellion against God, but it was seduction and deception to make her believe her act was the right thing to do. Satan is a liar. He is a dammer, he is a deceiver, he is a destroyer of people. And he will lie to you right to your face, tell you what you want to hear and get you to a place you cannot even imagine that you would go in the first place. Prison is full of good little boys and good little girls who never expected to be there because Satan is a liar. That's what he did to Eve. That's what he did to Adam. That's why today we are cursed with the Adamic nature. See, human beings are not simple in their sin. We make sin a lifelong journey of justification, of blissful, willing ignorance that's actually rooted in rebellion towards God and ultimately his authority. People don't like to be told what to do. Men are born hating to be told what to do. It's a war against the authority of God. And the truth is, church, with all the love in my heart, men are born so rotten to the core, so destitute in our own devices. And in that, in our own devices, with our own hands, we dig the 
chasm we dig the great gulf with our own actions between us and God. God does not owe me anything because of who I am at birth. These are the hands of totally depraved men and women. But to understand Christmas, you must understand the fall. And to understand the fall, you must know that there was a serpent, a snake, a devil who warred against the authority of God. And you must understand Eve and Adam, their weakness and their fall into sin that subsequently cursed all mankind that followed. But that's not where it ends. You see, God had a little conversation, a woodshed meeting with Satan right after he did what he did to Eve. It was a twofold curse. Verse number 14, the serpent was uniquely cursed by God, being made to slither on its belly. And truthfully, my poppy believed this, I believe this, I think and I believe with all my heart that snakes had legs before this verse. Because look what happens. Verse number 14. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly thou shalt go. It wouldn't be a curse if he was already on his belly. He had legs. And he took the snake, he removed his legs, he made dust his primary meal every day, and he slithers on the ground. And to this day, they are burned in our hearts and our imagination and our hearts really more than anything branded as wickedness. When a child sees a snake, what does that child do? It avoids the snake, or at least it should. For those who say they love snakes, talk to me after church. I'm gonna pray with you. And then we're gonna have a killing. I've just offended all the pet snake people. Kill that thing, get it out of your house. God cursed it. Verse number 15, and we'll try to wrap up. The first curse was a physical curse. And then in verse number 15, you see the spiritual curse. God is speaking now to Satan. And he says, I will put entity between thee and the woman. That means I will make thee war against each other. I will make thee hate one another. And between thy seed and her seed. And then look what takes place. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. After cursing the physical serpent, God turned to the spiritual lying seducer, Satan. And he cursed him. And what you have here, ladies and gentlemen, is the first gospel. This is prophetic of the struggle and it's prophetic of the outcome between Satan and unbelievers. Those are his seed. You can go to John 8, and see that they are called the devil's children and her seed, the seed of Eve. And in the seed of Eve is not only you and me, but Christ Jesus is also in the seed of Eve, a descendant of Eve and those in him, which includes his church. And all of that began in the garden. This was God's declaration of war against Satan, against all wickedness, and against his following. And in the midst of this curse, 
there comes for us, those who are the seed of Eve, hope. This is not just a message of curse and war. This is a message of hope. A message that shone forth that the woman's offspring would bruise the head of the evildoer. And that man, that person, the one who would bruise the head of Satan, the evildoer, is he who is called Christ, the Messiah, who will one day defeat the serpent for all time and for all eternity. This is Christmas in Genesis, the one to be born, the seed to follow. And this seed of Eve would be of the bloodline and the lineage from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Jesse and King David, Levi, Eli, and his daughter named Mary. And a beautiful baby boy born of a virgin named Jesus. You see, God told Satan in the garden, you'll only bruise his heel, which means that you'll only cause him to temporarily suffer. But when he bruises your head, it will be a final blow, a devastating blow, a destroying blow, and it will be the end of Satan and his horde. Romans 16, 20 says this, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. What the Bible's teaching is that Christians, believers, we recognize that we get to participate in the crushing. We get to participate in the destruction of Satan by you living in the abundance of a spirit-filled life that's controlled and led by the Holy Spirit of God. Every step that you take pleading the blood of Jesus Christ in your life and for your family is part of the crushing process of the enemy. We're part of this. Because of Jesus and because of his finished work on the cross, we also, the seed of Eve, we get to participate. I don't have to just watch. I get to participate in the crushing. I get to participate in the war. I get to participate in the victory. And I get to participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb where we will celebrate what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And when Jesus was born, when he was delivered, with the umbilical cord of God in the flesh, attached to the flesh of mankind through Mary, his mother, when his little lungs finally cleared of all the amniotic fluid and in the bottom of that birthing center there in the tower of Migdal in Bethlehem, which was the birthing center for lambs that were to be taken to the temple to be sacrificed in that little birthing center for lambs in the manger, the stone feeding trough where the lambs and the ewes would eat. There lied a little baby and after the umbilical cord was cut and his lungs cleared of all of the birthing fluid, the moment his little lungs opened and there came a cry, there came a shout from that little baby, it devastated and it reverberated all through time and eternity and the moment that that cry came from that baby in Bethlehem, Satan went, oh no. He's been born. Oh no. 
It struck fear in the heart of Satan that the Christ child had been born. And it reverberated all the way through eternity and it was so loud that it deafened the ears of Satan and it deafened the ears of his horde and it said for you and it said for me and it said for his mama and his daddy that were there that there had been born hope in Bethlehem. Jesus, the moment he took a breath in this sin-sick world, hit a cataclysmic shift of redemptive history that would change my eternity and change your eternity. The Messiah had been born. The seed of Eve was alive and well and he was there to offer hope to all mankind. You say, Pastor, how do you know that it made Satan scared? How do you know that it made Satan afraid? Because the devil only fights what he fears and the moment that Jesus took his breath on this old sick mud ball called earth, Satan took his armies and his hordes and his one goal was to destroy baby Jesus before he could even get started. Where do you think the idea came from to destroy all of the male children that had been born? It was the plan of Satan to stop Jesus from doing what God had told him in the garden he would do. But my God has so much authority and my God made such an investment in mankind that he surrounded his little baby Jesus with battalions of guardian angels that we read about in Luke 2 that were singing glory to God in the high, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And Jesus survived even the attacks of Satan as an infant child. And he did it for you and he did it for me. And this is why Satan hates Christmas. This is why we love Christmas and it's why we must celebrate Christmas. First John 3, 8 says, he that committeth sin is of the devil for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Listen to these words. For this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I'll read this and I'll be gone. When young David killed Goliath with his sling and his smooth stone, David took Goliath's sword from his sheath and he took his sword after slinging the stone into his forehead and he took Goliath's own sword and he removed his head from his shoulders. The Bible says that little David took that head. You can read it in 1 Samuel 17. That David took that head all the way back up the hill through the valley of Elah up the hill to Jerusalem. And as he enters near the city, he enters with triumphant cries of the people. David's got the big burly head of Goliath in his hand and he's crying out, we've won the victory. The Philistine has been defeated his brothers are being executed as I speak. We've won the victory. And he beat Goliath, took his own sword and cut off his head, took it to Jerusalem. But you see that head, although it was a sign of great victory, great triumph over the Philistines, that head could not be buried inside the walls of the holy city. 
Jerusalem would never allow an unclean pagan to have any part of their body buried inside the holy city. And Jewish scholars and historians tell us in great detail that little David after his victory took the burly head of the Philistine known as Goliath of Gath and took his head to a little rocky ridge right outside of Jerusalem. You know it and I know it as Golgotha. And there in the place of the skull, little David who was getting ready to become king took the burly head of the giant and he buried it there outside of the city walls on Golgotha. And David, a type of Christ, took the head of the seed of Satan and buried it there in the rocky soil that 2,000 years later would become the place where your Savior would be fixed to a cross. And attached to that cross, his feet would be nailed and his heel would be bruised. And then the best part, as his heel was bruised, as his side was pierced, and as the blood ran from his body, off of the cross, onto the ground, every drop of blood that touched the ground was like a pounding hammer of justice for Satan and his seed, that the blood of Jesus Christ was crushing the head of Satan the evildoer and his seed. Revelation 20, chapter 20, verse number 10, it says this, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. Eight days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took him. They took him for his circumcision and his naming. They ran into a man at the temple and his name was Simeon. And Simeon looked at Mary and he said, Mary, this baby is set for the fall and for the rising again. And Mary, he will die. And 33 years, five months and 22 days later, Jesus hanging on my cross did just that he died. But as Simeon had foretold, not only would he die, but for the sake of the Jew and for the Gentile to correct all that had been wrong by Adam and Eve, he would raise himself up in power and glory and offer for you and for me a way out of the problem. And no longer would animals be the economy of sacrifice because Jesus paid the perfect sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. And Christians, Christmas is your victory. Christmas is your hope. And Christmas and its full story can change your life for all of eternity. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And to him we say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.
Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. And thank you for taking my sin to my cross. Christmas is not just another day, but it's a day to be celebrated in the hearts of his people. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the word of God that is so true and so faithful. We thank you for what Christmas means, and Lord, I pray now in this moment our hearts would be captivated by the real meaning of the season we're celebrating. God, that we wouldn't just go by and the 25th be another day, but Lord, we'd come to church on that Sunday with full hearts that are thankful for what you've done. God, I thank you for the Holy Ghost of God that reveals things to our hearts, that encourage us when we're tired, when we're discouraged. Lord, help us to be faithful to what you've called us to do and what you've called us to be. Lord, my prayer is for every person that's here. And if there be anyone here under the sound of my voice or worshiping online that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that this Christmas would be different. That God the Holy Ghost would go by their way and convict them and save them. Lord, we thank you for this day you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Praise the Lord. I love you. Please be careful going home. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Make sure you're praying about how you can participate in the birthday offering for Jesus. Parents, I encourage you to involve your children in birthday offering this year. We'll have the wagon out for them if they want to participate. Everyone participating and doing their best. To God be the glory. We believe that he will meet the need I'm thankful for you, thankful for all that you do for the church family. God's good to us, is he not? Amen. I love Easter, I love Christmas, and I love you. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas season.